Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Woman podcast. Every two weeks, we'll post a podcast version of one of our free training videos, but you can access them now at beyondordinarywomen.org. This episode or series includes downloadable information on our website, beyondordinarywomen.org. Go to resources on the main menu and click on podcast slash video extras. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Kay Daigle of Beyond Ordinary Women. I am welcoming you today to discuss Barbie, the Bible, and feminism. Our special guest today is Cheyenne Coote, who is a THM student at DTS in her last year now. That must feel good, huh, Cheyenne? Yes, yes it does. Yeah, coming to the end. Well, welcome. We're so glad to have you to talk about this very timely topic because so many people are going to see Barbie. Mm-hmm. And we're not really talking about Barbie so much, but it just gives us a chance to talk about feminism a little bit and how the Bible relates to that. For our audience sake and getting to know you better, define feminism for us and then just tell us how you developed an interest in it. Sure. So generally speaking, I think that feminism is basically the belief that men and women are equal to each other socially, politically, and economically. And I got an interest in feminism from first going to an all-girls high school. So from ninth through 12th grade, I went to an all-girls high school. And I think just being in that environment, it made me be just hyper aware of what it meant to be a woman and the different opportunities that women have or didn't have, or just how different the dynamic was at my school, because there were no boys, it was just us girls. And then going into college, I minored in gender and women's studies. And so I think as I was going into college as a young adult away from home, I think that feminism became a way for me to understand who I was as a woman and specifically uh, as a Black woman, just basically helping me to figure out how do I understand my identity? How do I understand myself? And even though now I don't necessarily identify as a feminist anymore, I still think that feminism is really important to understand the lives of women and the history of women. Right. We'll start with Barbie. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we won't give anything away to somebody who hasn't. Right. Seen it. I don't think we're telling them anything shocking right. to say that Barbie lives in a matriarchal society, for sure. Barbies run everything. They've got yep. all the major roles, the president, who, whomever you might see in our society as a male is a Barbie. Mm-hmm. And the men are left with unimportant positions. In fact, Ken's job is to guard the beach, not the water, but the beach. Mm -hmm. In the course of the movie, Barbie heads to the real world where she finds that women live with patriarchy, misogyny, and being treated as sexual objects by men. Mm -hmm. And because Ken travels to the real world with Barbie, he learns about patriarchy and he's real excited about it, embraces it, and takes it back to Barbie land. So. That's just basically what happens, I would say, as a satire to just help people see what the world is like, because it's kind of our world upside down a little Mm -hmm. bit. What message from Barbie would you say aligns with the Bible? Sure. So I think there's a point in the movie where Barbie kind of mentions all the different careers that Barbies have pursued. So like the astronaut Barbie or like the lawyer Barbie. 
And I think that definitely aligns with the idea that God has gifted women in many different ways. If you look at a story in Judges 4, there's a prophet named Deborah who basically gets a word from the Lord to tell Barak to go down with the Israelite army and to fight the Canaanite army. And Barak actually asks Deborah to go down with him. He says, I'm not going to go if you don't go with me. And even as they're traveling together, he's still afraid and she encourages him, go like the Lord has given you victory. And so we see in that story uh, in the Old Testament where God is using a woman to be an encourager for a man to step out in faith and do what the Lord has promised. And so I think that's a really positive example of something in the Bible that also aligns with the movie that women are capable of doing many different things. And that includes helping men. I would say another example is at the end of the movie, and again, sorry for the spoilers for those who haven't seen it. I want to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast, but at the end of the movie, Barbie tells Ken that she doesn't have the same romantic feelings that he has for her. And I think that shows young women that it's okay, you know, to be single and to take time to understand who you are, you know, without being in a relationship. And so she goes out into the real world without him. And, you know, in Colossians 2.10, you know, Paul tells the church there that in Christ, you've been brought to fullness, that it's a relationship with Christ that brings ultimate fulfillment and contentment because Jesus is the only person that fully embodies God in the flesh. You know, nobody else does that. And so at the end of the movie, we see that Barbie is content going out into the real world with being single, which shows that a relationship with Ken did not complete her, that only a relationship with Christ can complete us. And obviously the movie wasn't explicitly saying that, but there are some things, you know, we can take from there. Right. I totally agree. And I thought that because Ken was really taking his identity from Barbie, Mm -hmm. which many women tend to do as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know there are men who do that and women who do that, Mm -hmm. but I thought Barbie's message to him that that was not the place to find his identity, mm-hmm. that he had his own identity and he needed to live that out. And I think that is exactly what the Bible tells us. We are not supposed to be dependent on somebody else fulfilling us, as you just said, in any mm-hmm. way that we're supposed to be looking to God for that instead of other people. Mm-hmm. And even people who aren't Christians often have to learn this the hard way that they are not able to find that in a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend Mm -hmm. um, that they need to find it somewhere else. And that's a good way to get to the gospel, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought of other, you talked about Deborah, I thought of other women prophets. I know in second Kings 22, King Josiah Mm -hmm. wanted to inquire of the Lord and he sent the high priest, very high-ranking man, mm-hmm. and three of his other men, and they went to Hulda. Mm-hmm. Yep, Hulda. They went to a woman and listened to her. She told them what God had said. And in the New Testament, we have Philip the Evangelist mentioned in Acts 21, his four daughters were prophets. Mm-hmm. And 1 Corinthians 11, Paul mentions women praying and prophesying in the church. Mm-hmm. So just as Barbie had women in roles where they worked with men and men listened to them, the Bible does as well. Yeah. Is there anything in the movie that you feel didn't align with the Bible? Yeah, for sure. So I think in the movie, there is this message of men versus women in terms of power dynamics. And I think that's just 
an issue in my generation in general. And so we see that Barbie land is very stable when uh, women are in leadership roles and the men are just basically there to be there. They're not really doing anything. And then uh, when the women are not in power and when Ken brings back the patriarchy, you know, Barbie land basically falls apart. And so the movie was basically showing that when men are in power, like that's negative, that's a bad thing. It's showing that it's not possible for men and women to work together for God's glory. And that's definitely not true. We see in Acts 18, where Paul meets a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and he does a lot of uh, ministry with them. He um, meets them in Corinth and he sails to Syria with them. And from the text, we don't see that there's any issues. It seems like he worked really well with them and they actually wanted him to stay on longer. And he actually left to go somewhere else where he felt like the Lord was calling him. And so we do see examples in the Bible of men and women working together. And it seems like it's harmonious. It's not a problem. So that was definitely a huge issue in the movie for sure that we don't want men to face discrimination from women either in terms of power dynamics. And we don't want women to experience that either. So. Right. I read a critique of the movie by Dr. Michael Bird. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's no. a Christian theologian. This is what he says. My critique is this, the film's underlying message, what he felt was the underlying message, which goes along with what you're talking about, is that women and men are bad for each other. Mm. This is not a man-hating film. It's worse. It denies the inherent goodness of male-female relationships. Mm, that's good. I think he's kind of got a point. I think some of that is what you were feeling about mm -hmm. what you didn't like about the way that they portrayed that, because they were never able to come to a let's all work together. Let's have men in leadership, women in leadership. Let's work together for the good. Because right. we know, you know, in the Bible, biblically, God gave both men and women dominion over the earth. Mm -hmm. um, we're all to serve God in his kingdom, both men and women. We know that Paul referred to women as co-laborers and sisters. And together we should be working toward the same goals and the places that God has us in his kingdom. So let's move on from that. And let's talk a few minutes about the feminist movement itself. Sure. So yeah, looking at the feminist movement. Um, so there's been kind of like three major waves of feminism within U.S. history. And so the first wave took place in the late 19th, early 20th century. So I think most people would be familiar with the passage of the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote. And then moving into the 60s, 70s, and I guess you can also say the 80s as well, you have the second wave of feminism and so increased access to contraceptives and birth control, um, opportunities for women to enter into higher education and have expanded careers was some of the major things that defined that era. And then I'd say now the third and the fourth waves of feminism would kind of be like the 90s to the present. And so a lot of that has spoken out against sexual harassment that women have experienced in different public spheres. So in the movie industry and even on the church, church too, that was something that started a couple of years ago as well. And so I would say just as a, a general zoom out, those are be the three kind of major phases of feminism in American yeah. history. When I was a girl, I saw some of the some of the good that can come mm -hmm. from the feminist movement because I remember very clearly my mother had grown up in the country on a small farm mm -hmm. and there were five children in the family. And when uh, my grandfather died, they inherited the land. 
And several years later, the all of the family decided to sell it. And when they sold it, mm-hmm. I remember that my father had to sign the deed over that my mother, I don't know if both of them signed it or just him, but I know that she could not do it without him mm-hmm. because she was considered incompetent uh, or she was considered that it was his decision or she needed his permission. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what was behind those laws, but that second wave of feminism affected a lot of things like that and, mm-hmm. and allowed women to have a say in the things that were theirs and and some other things that happened that were very positive toward women. Mm-hmm. I know that there are some people who just want to say feminism is horrible, mm-hmm. but I think that they are unaware of the things that they have today that were given to them. Mm-hmm such as the right to vote. I mean, Mm -hmm. women would not be able to vote without that first wave of feminism. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some other rights that the feminist movement has given women? You've mentioned the right to vote. Are there any other specific ones that you can think of? Sure. So I think, yeah, the 19th Amendment is huge, but I would also say um, during the second wave of feminism, uh, the passage of Title IX was really huge as well. And so that prohibited any program or school that was federally funded from discriminating against somebody on the basis of gender. And so an example of this being enforced would be a requirement for public schools and universities to have sports programs for both genders. And that was huge. I I think I read a story recently where a female athlete won an Olympic gold medal in like the 1964 Olympics, but she couldn't get like a scholarship to go to college, like to play that sport because there wasn't a sport for women in that category. And so The passage of the Title IX Amendment was really huge. I would also say the Supreme Court rulings in the late 1960s and early 70s that allowed both married and unmarried couples to have access to contraceptives without government intervention. That was huge as well. So, yeah. Okay. How would you say feminism has changed the culture of the United States? Mm -hmm. And so I think feminism um, has changed the culture of the United States in a huge way. So obviously, uh, when the pill became accessible to women, that separated the kind of relationship between sex and marriage, which obviously is not ideal for us as Christians, but cohabitation became a lot more popular. And even now, if you look at recent statistics, I read something the other day that said like two thirds of people think that you need to live together before you get married. And so something that was kind of now taboo is very normalized. I'd say that feminism allowed women to have significant career goals that It was okay to desire to be more than a wife and a a mother, even to not want to get married at all. I think that feminism has normalized conversations around sexual harassment that women face um, and experience from men that that conversation um, isn't as taboo anymore. Women's sports, we see like the WNBA or how even over the past few years, um, coverage of um, women's college sports is increasing. And so I just think women's representation in the public sphere and the diversity of that has become really expanded because of some of the benefits of the feminist movement. So Cheyenne, as a Black woman, describe to us how the feminist movement affected Black women differently than it did white women, because I don't think that most of our white audience knows anything about this. Sure. So I think for Black women in particular, some of the issues that were addressed by the mainstream feminist movement didn't always recognize um, their unique experiences. And I think that Black women also experienced um, alienation, you know, from the mainstream feminist movement as well because of racial discrimination. And I think 
especially when you look at the second wave um, feminist movement, a lot of that focused on the challenges of middle-class white women who were pressured to not work outside the home and who were pressured to be stay-at-home moms. And it didn't focus on some of the issues that Black women and other groups of women of color face who like had to work outside the home, who didn't have a choice about whether or not they even wanted to stay at home or for whom staying at home wasn't even an option if they wanted to do that. And thinking about just the history of our country since slavery, Black women have always been involved in America's capitalist economy. And obviously in slavery, that was against their will. I think about, um, you know, Sojourner Truth, her speech, Ain't I a Woman? And um, she made this speech in 1852 at a women's rights convention in Ohio. And she talked about her unique experiences as a slave and saying, um, she talked about how she wasn't treated as a woman, you know, because of the physical strength that she had. And she talked about how, even though her physical strength was greater, you know, than a man or equal to a man's that didn't take away from her femininity as a woman or the protection that she deserved as a woman. And her speech was huge because that was one of the first times that um, a Black woman's unique experience was even discussed within a public context where women's rights were being advocated for. And so that's one of the ways that I'd say Black women's experiences are different from white women, but I also think there's similarities as well. You know, both white women and Black women have fought for access to contraceptives and birth control, um, but Black women have also fought against forced sterilization, which happened as a part of the eugenics movement where certain groups, so poor people or people of color, may have been sterilized without their knowledge to stop them from being able to conceive or have children. And so I think that's one way where what feminism looks like for Black women or what activism looks like for Black women have has differed from some of the experiences that white women have had. I would also say, I think it's important to clarify to people that the 19th Amendment, unfortunately, um, really only protected the voting rights of white women. It wasn't until the Civil Rights Act of 1965 where the voting rights of both black men and black women were protected and where Southern states uh, were barred from using different, you know, intimidation tactics to stop black people from voting. And so I'd say those are some of the ways that the experiences of black women have been different. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. that's an important perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you, when I think about perspective, I think in the Barbie movie, it wasn't until Barbie could basically see through the eyes of somebody who was being treated as less than mm-hmm. by going to the real world and experiencing yeah. this patriarchal situation that she could have any empathy for Ken. Yeah. She had no empathy at all. Mm-hmm. She she just took him for granted. She didn't even care, really. But by seeing it from his perspective, by somebody else treating her the way that she was treating him, mm-hmm. or the Barbies were treating the Kins, basically, mm-hmm. she was able to have empathy. So I think what you just shared is important because I think we need to put ourselves in somebody else's position and understand that not everybody sees this exactly the same way because we haven't had the same experiences because of who we are, our heritage, our ethnicity. There are differences that we need to be aware of and and be careful when we say, well, all these ideas are are bad. Well, what if we were Mm -hmm. in those shoes? How would we feel? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Is there anything else that you want to say about any of the three waves of feminism and how they aligned with God's word? Sure. 
So I just think broadly speaking, I think a lot of the advances that came from feminism really advocated for the God-given dignity of women in a lot of ways. And going back to what you said earlier, Kay, I think a lot of the times as Christians, it's really easy for us to demonize feminism. But I think we have to admit that virtually every woman in this country has benefited from feminism in some way, even if you don't agree with all aspects of it. And I think that a lot of the legislation passed and the cultural changes that happened really allowed women to participate more fully in society in a way that really valued their God-given capacities and the protection that they deserve. And so going back to Title IX, Title IX um, barred sexual harassment in the workplace, or at least gave a place for it to be challenged. And I think about certain Old Testament laws in Exodus or Deuteronomy that protected women from sexual exploitation. And so giving an example of that, Exodus 22 says, if a man seduces a virgin, he has to marry her. He has to pay, pay a bride price. So he's not just able to have casual sex with someone that's not his wife and then not deal with the consequences of that, like a child being conceived from that interaction. He has to marry her. He has to give her father the bride price. So I would say that's one example of how some of the advancements of feminism can align with God's word. I also think about a story in Numbers 27 when Zelophehad, hopefully I'm saying his name right, he passed away and he had four daughters. He didn't have any sons um, to give his land to. And so the daughters went to Moses and the leaders and said, can we inherit our father's land so that we're not destitute? And so Moses and the leaders allow them to be able to inherit their father's land. And so, and to protect that, they can only marry within their tribe so that the land doesn't get transferred to another family. And so I think that's an example of how the Bible advocates, you know, for the legal and economic protection of women in ways that we don't always think, especially in the Old Testament. Right. Those are some really good points. And yeah, certainly yeah. The, I think of how the women in sports whole thing has mm -hmm. just exploded. Yeah. Title nine. It, mm -hmm. it, there were very few sports for women before mm -hmm. that. So many things that you mentioned are really an integral part of our society now. Mm -hmm. and, and people who don't know that history are unaware that really the feminist movements are the reasons that these things were passed in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So would you give us a picture of what you see as the biblical model we should use for our men-women relationships in the mm -hmm. church? So I think typically when we have these conversations, it's very easy to ask people, are you complementarian? Are you egalitarian? And I think that's like a whole another episode conversation that we can have. But I think without getting into the complexities of that, I think that both men and women should see each other as co-laborers in God's service that I think oftentimes when we have conversations about men and women within the church, it can be about, oh, like who gets this leadership role? And it's like a conversation that's centered on power dynamics. But I think that we should remember that regardless of where you fall on these sides of the conversation, we're all serving Christ. And so I think that's just the important thing to understand and that men and women are equal in dignity or worth. And even if you think women shouldn't have the same roles as men, that doesn't make a woman inferior to a man. God made Eve after Adam. He needed, he realized that a woman needed to be created to complete humanity. And so clearly God doesn't see women as inferior to men. And so we don't need to either, even if you do think that women shouldn't have certain roles that men do. So thank you, Cheyenne. I think this is very helpful especially because the conversation out there about Barbie makes it a little bit timely, but this conversation will outlast the Barbie movie, I think, mm -hmm. because those things that we've talked about are ongoing and the truth of God's word and how it aligns 
with some of the message of the movie is important for us to understand. We have some other resources that deal with gender issues that you as our audience might also find helpful. We've created a list of all of our resources that you can freely download, and you can see these resources on there as well. Use the QR code that you'll see if you're watching the video, or if not, if you're on our podcast, then go to our website to beyondordinarywomen.org. Go to the pull-down menu called Resources and click on the Helpful Resource List, which you can download, and you'll find this topic in the Cultural Issues section. Cheyenne, if you have any particular resources that you want to add, just let me know and I'll get that on there by the time we post this episode. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Cheyenne, for your expertise in this subject and being willing to come on Beyond Ordinary Women. And for all of you out there, we hope that you'll just continue watching or listening to our podcast and browse at beyondordinarywomen.org to the resources that might help you, whether you're a leader in your church, your community, your home, whether you're just influencing friends, you have a mentee. All of us influence someone and our resources are designed to help you increase that influence. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring, and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.